So today's word is a, is a good word. So, uh, and, uh, so I need you to put your hand on your heart. <laughs> it's a good word. It's a good word. Um, say heart. Please don't worry. Everything's going to be okay. You might feel a little bit of pain. But it's good for you. Amen. Right, so I'd love for you to open your Bibles to uh, John chapter 8. <clears throat> if you want to know which is my favorite chapter in the Bible, open, open to any chapter in the Bible, it's my favorite one. <laughs> any, any, you go anywhere, it's all my favorite. So before... Before I read, I want to tell you my, the title of my message today, and it's the key or the keys to answered prayer, okay? So I'm not going to give you keys like you think normally when you have a title like this, you expect, oh, point number one is going to be key number one. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you three different dimensions of the word, and you have to find the needle in the haystack. Today, you're going to work. I'm going to give you the haystack, and you're going to search for the needle. So the keys are in the message, and you have to figure it out. Right? So you have to find out. I'm not going to go point number one is this and that. You'll just figure out the dimensions have shifted in the message. And you will learn to pick out the keys of what you want to apply in your life. Okay? And I guarantee when you start applying it, uh, it will completely change your life. All right? So are you in John chapter 8? Amen. Verse 2. Now early in the morning... Jesus came again into the temple, and all the people came to him. And he sat down, and he taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Oh. Now Moses in the law commanded commanded us that such should be stoned, <laughs> but what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. Verse 8, and again he stooped down and wrote on the ground, then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. Then Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. It's a phenomenal passage. And I've taught from it 
um, a lot, but today uh, I really feel like God is going to give us some new revelation um, about our hearts, and it's going to be really good for us. But in this, God in this passage is trying to uh, reveal to us um, his nature and his uh, ability to respond to us. Okay, it's it, the context of what we pray to God is never usually the way God answers. I'll give you an example, you know, uh, I've heard this many times, uh, even in our church, uh, a young couple would be praying, God, we need finances to get out of debt. We need finances. God provide us for finances. And then the woman falls pregnant. You're praying and asking God, give me money, give me money, give me money. And he gives you a baby. <laughs> it's like God's not listening. It's like, God, I'm asking you for the very thing that I'm going to be spending on this child. <laughs> Can you give me money? It gives you a baby. It's weird. It's weird, isn't it? It feels like, God, I'm praying for this breakthrough for the last five years, ten years, and Lord, you're giving, it's like, you ask for a, a wife, and he gives you a car. like there's something wrong with the connection. There's somebody who's trying to interpret my prayers that is missing it. And in this passage, God is trying to reveal to us that most times the context of our prayer is always revealed in our hearts and not what comes out of our mouth. And God listens to our heart more than what we say. And the reason why is because all of us have a thing called a conscience. How many of you have a conscience? Put your hand up. Okay. This conscience is formed by our upbringing, by the way our parents bring us up, by the way uh, the, the traditions that is passed down from generation to generation, culture, society, our school, our friends, college, um, the, the economic structure of the world, whatever it is that, that you feed on really is what forms this conscience that you have on the inside of you. And a lot of the times we go to God because either our conscience has been defiled by what happens in our lives, and we go to God because we're like, God, I need a breakthrough in this area because I'm, ah, but your heart is like offended in another area. Your heart, your conscience is defiled in another area towards another person. But we're going to God and we're saying, God, I need a breakthrough in, in this area, and it seems like it's falling on deaf ears. It's because your heart is communicating to God. See, the conscience that the Bible encourages us to have is that, that we're, it encourages us to have the conscience of Christ or the mind of Christ. That's why renewing of the mind is so important. We talk about transformation in our lives, but transformation really comes through the renewing of your mind first. If we expect everything around us to change without us changing on the inside... If what, it does not happen, and then we get offended with God, we get offended with the church, we shoot the messenger who gives us the message, 
and most times it's the pastor. But we fail to really deal with the, with the root of the problem. And the root of the problem is that your conscience has been formed by the moral law. And so you think that something that happens around you is right or wrong. And so because of that, we go to God defiled with a defiled conscience rather than a pure conscience. How many of you understand what I'm talking about? For example, now you're, you're in church and you, you've been saved and, and you don't believe that, that somehow you, you've grown up to believe that drinking alcohol or smoking cigarettes is a bad thing and it's of the devil and you know, you need to, I'm, I'm stepping on those toes today. So, um, and you believe that, um, that, that it's bad and you should not happen and you will go to hell. You will go to heaven faster. Just trying to... <laughs> If you smoke cigarettes in grace, please, I'm not giving people permission. Don't go down that road. But if you are struggling, there's no condemnation in God. God gives you grace to give it up. But I'm just saying this, that if you do, the purpose of God in your life is cut short. You go to heaven faster. Uh, and in this church, which, 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 and the name of our church is life. A long life and abundant life is our portion. So... Having these vices really uh, is, is really of no use to us. So no point having it, right? So, um, so when we have, let's say a person has this issue where, where they, their conscience has been formed by, no, no, smoking. Smoking's of the devil. Wow, devil come from the cigarette. <laughs> Bite you like that and go back. <laughs> and, um, and we come to church and, and a person who, who, who does not know Jesus who's coming to our church for the first time has no clue about what your conscience is made of. And comes into church and has gone behind the church and is smoking a cigarette and then you happen to go and get a cup of coffee and, uh, from the restaurant at the back. Uh, and then you pass by and you're like... <laughs> I thought we are in church. Who's this? Who's this? And then you find out, it's like, oh, hello, hi, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. <laughs> Uh, and, and, and now, your brother or your sister, please, don't think only brothers smoke. <laughs> your, bro your brother or your sister huh, um, uh, has been, is, is weak in an area, and now, because you think you're strong in that area, your conscience has been formed in that area, and you think it's wrong, you, your conscience gets defiled by someone who is in this room. I'm just saying. And now you have a need in your life. Let's say you need a new job. You just got fired and you need a new job. And you go to God and you're like, God, thank you for your love. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Our Father who art in heaven. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, it be your name. <laughs> I'm not going there. I'm not going there. Uh, we, we, we create this form of spirituality that says, I am qualified in the presence of God. Not qualified by what Jesus has done, but qualified because I believe that cigarette. I stayed away from cigarette. Look at that, that guy. Hmm? Hell. <laughs> but me? Heaven. 
stand face to face. Pastor John said face to face, like Moses, face to face. And now you're praying to God and say, God, I need that job. God, I need that breakthrough. God, I need that child. God, I need my debts to be canceled. God, I need my phone to be charged. I need all of that to happen. And it's like radio silence. It's like feels like the connection between you and God is cut. The reason for that is because your conscience got defiled by, listen to me, your conscience got defiled by someone God loves. That person that is struggling with that cigarette is not your problem. If God wanted to fix that problem, he would have fixed it like that. But God doesn't force you to give up your cigarettes. He gives you the grace to overcome the desire to keep smoking or drinking or be addicted to pornography. Whatever it is, God gives you the grace to overcome it. And he doesn't kick you and force you to do it. He, he empowers you to make choices. And sometimes, for us as Christians, we can, we can be so self-righteous. And our self-righteousness really is ugly rags before God. We think sometimes that we come to church and I attended, I gave my tithe, I gave my offering, I did everything, I shouted, I praised. Pastor John said, lift your hands, I lifted my hands, lift my leg also, everything. I did everything that he asked me to do. <laughs> God must hear my prayer. When he doesn't hear your prayer, you get offended and say, man, this thing doesn't work, man, this doctrine, they become doctrine and theologist, you know, they get, start getting doctor's degrees, doctor's degrees in persecution, that's what they get. <laughs> but it's so simple that when you actually go before God, he doesn't really, it's not hard for God to provide. It's not difficult for God to provide. But he knows that the blessing will be such a burden on a heart that is defiled. And so he actually, by not answering your prayer, he's actually saving you from destruction. The scribes and Pharisees, just imagine the level of, of defilement of the heart, of the conscience. The scribes and Pharisees were people who, or the Pharisees were people who kept the law of Moses. And because they kept the law of Moses, they expected all of Israel, all the Israelites to keep the law. And they became judges of people. So just imagine now, these scribes and Pharisees have followed a woman. Okay, just imagine. This is how corrupted their heart can get. I'm talking about religious people, self-righteous people. So corrupted that they followed an adulterous woman to the act and caught her in the act. What, they, what were they doing? What were they looking at? Also, my case would be, is, does it take one person to commit adultery? It takes, where's the guy? Why didn't they bring the guy? So here, this story is really not about the woman. The story is about the test. They're testing Jesus. If they came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, 
how would you deal with this issue? What, how would you, Jesus, as a teacher, or, or, or come from God, how could you explain to us how would God deal with this issue of adultery? It's a different question to Jesus. Prove to us. They're testing him. What would you do in this case? Moses' law says this. What would you do? See, sometimes we, go to, we, we come to church or we sit around people. And, and honestly, I feel like that at times when I sit around with certain people. I feel like I'm being tested. I, I'm not being trusted. And, and it's easy to figure it out because it's in the way the question is asked. They don't, they, 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 they question you but not ask you a question. Do you understand? Like I, I would love for people who, who spend time with Kelsey and me to ask a question. It's, it's a place of submission. It's a place of honor. It's a place of humility. It's a place of saying, I want to learn. Because that person does not have a defiled conscience. But a person who is testing has, has a defiled conscience. Do you understand? So when you are around people, for example, if you have a boss and you don't trust that boss, you will constantly test his motives. If you have a father or mother that you don't trust, you will constantly test their motives, looking for them to prove themselves to you. And what that makes you is a judge, a defiled judge. And now you go before God and if you're a student and you're praying, God, please help me with my exams. God, please give me a job. God, please, you know, please do this, please. But you have an issue with your mom and dad? Oh boy. That's, that's crazy. But I want, to, I want you to pay close attention to the way Jesus responds. He stoops down and he writes on the ground as if he did not hear them. They came to him testing his heart and his response was not to hear them. You want to know why your prayers are not being answered? Check your heart. Check your heart not against God, please. It could be against God as well. But against the person sitting on your left and your right. Person sitting in this room. Your boss. Please, this is not a Christian woman that they caught in adultery. <laughs> she was a sinner. She was caught in the act of adultery. But Jesus had a very different response. When we go to God with self-righteousness, he ignores it. When we go to God with a defiled conscience, he ignores it. Because he knows you're not ready for the blessing. But listen, look at the way God responds. Are you ready for this? He writes on the ground. I believe he was just doodling on the ground. Okay, that's what I believe. That's what I see Jesus doing. He's like, dude, I just can't. <laughs> Bam the rivers of Babylon. <laughs> I really believe that he wasn't like, people have said, wow, you know, Jesus was writing something profound and he was creating a line in the sand. No, no, man, he just wrote on the ground. 
But you must understand that when these people came to God accusing someone, okay, God didn't listen to them, but his heart was turned in mercy to the sinner. His heart was turned in mercy. She, was she guilty? Yeah. Was she caught in the act? Yeah. Does she deserve a punishment? Yes. But God's response is different. So it tells me God's ways are not man's ways. God's thoughts are not like man's thoughts. So the Bible really encourages us to have the mind of Christ so that the way we deal with people is not the way the moral law suggests, the way our mom and dad taught us, the way the, 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 the government and the, and the police and all these people treat one another, the way pastors have treated people before and the way the people have treated pastors, this is not the grounds for it. The grounds for it is Christ. The way Christ would respond to another person. The way Christ would show love to a person who deserves punishment, who is guilty. I mean, show me in the Bible any person that God used that wasn't guilty. Come on now. There's not a single person who wasn't guilty. So, but when God calls them righteous, it doesn't mean that they did not sin. Just because God calls you righteous doesn't mean that you don't sin. You know, Matthew chapter 4. No, don't go there. Matthew chapter 5. Jesus makes a very profound statement. And he says this. If you are bringing an offering to God uh, and you have an issue with your brother, or sorry, your brother has an issue with you, not you have an issue with your brother. He says, if you're bringing an offering to God and your brother has an issue with you, he says, go to your brother, leave the offering, go to your brother, reconcile with him, and then come and give your offering. If we came to church, please listen to me, if we came to church, we've all come to give an offering, not just money. It's offering of praise, it's offering of worship, it's, a, it's thanksgiving, whatever it is, love to, for one another, but we have an issue with somebody in the room or somebody at work, or somebody at home, or even this nation. You have an issue with it, for whatever reason. Your conscience, please listen to me, your conscience, the voice of your conscience, a defiled conscience, overpowers the voice of your offering. So there's two voices before God. It's your conscience and your offering. And God chooses to look at the heart. You can come into this room, you can dance from from pillar to post to God. And like David, till all your outer garments, not in, in, everything fall off. And you can say, wow, God encountered. You can laugh, ha ha, fall on the floor, absolutely drunk in the Holy Spirit, whatever, you know. You can be the person who's dripping with oil. Oil of gladness, just you're anointed from heaven. Ooh, you have everything. You have a defiled conscience. Your prayers mean nothing. 
Your prayers mean nothing. Because God wants you first to deal with the heart. Deal with the heart. Christians are not qualified for special love. Christians are not qualified for special love from God. If you don't say amen, the system will say amen to me. <laughs> Do you understand? God so loved the world that he gave his son. God's love is equal to everybody. Say everybody. So when you have an issue with somebody... You have an issue with someone God loves. Equally with you. The same love that God has for you is the same love that God has for them. Now please listen to me very carefully. Even if it's their fault. <laughs> Even if they are guilty as charged and you have proof. This is why I'm saying the way God deals with things completely different to the way we deal with things. We, we want swift judgment. Kick them out of the church. Throw them. Do this. No. The way God does. He was not even in a hurry to save the lady. She was an adulteress. Jesus did not go and say, excuse me, give your life to me now. You're in sin. She was somewhere doing whatever and she got dragged and brought before Jesus and he was not in a hurry to say, I condemn you. You are judged before God. All the righteous judged. Finished. Nothing. He started doodling on the ground. Do you understand? Sometimes we think that when we pray to God, that God has to answer us in the exact context of our prayer. And so these guys, when Jesus did not listen to him, please now wait, it's, getting, getting, it's going to get a little more heavy. When these guys realized Jesus is not answering, they insisted, come on Jesus. Started praying a little more louder. Suddenly Jesus became deaf, couldn't hear. So they prayed more louder. And in Christian terms, it's fasting and prayer. Have you heard of that? Let me go on a fast. I'm not having a breakthrough. Let me go on a fast. God is not hearing my prayer. Let me go on a fast so that God can hear me fast. <laughs> right? And here's, I don't have a problem with fasting. Okay? I fast every night. <laughs> From... Sometimes 11, sometimes 12, sometimes 2 in the morning. Depending on what time I have my third meal of the day. From there till the time I wake up, I fast every night. Yeah, and I break my fast also in the morning. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm very religious with that one. But you see, 
when, when people insist that God move, the response to them is God deals with their heart. I would recommend that you go on a fast of your heart before you deal with the diet in the body. Do a, do a heart cleanse before you do a body cleanse. Because doing a body cleanse will only pollute your body if your conscience is defiled. Are you okay? I hope you're getting keys. Keys for your prayers to be answered. God moved. Please listen to me. Sometimes our fasting can make us self-righteous. I'm not against fasting. But most times the reason why you fast is to cleanse your conscience, to cleanse your mind. Because it got too polluted, got too defiled. Too defiled with what is happening in life. Somebody cuts you on the road, <laughs> judging them in the flesh. You know, I was telling Kelsey, uh, not telling Kelsey, Kelsey was telling me that I was so in the flesh this week. And it was so weird because uh, God was trying to t teach me more about my heart and this sermon. Uh, and he was giving me live examples for me to fail in. You expect everybody to be perfect? No. Make mistakes. So I was driving this car and I was getting into a, a one-way street. Very small. It's just one way in, one way out. And this guy decides to come head on in the opposite direction. And I was like, come on, dude. And he was just like, you know how those people, they, they are in sin and they... they, they and righteous indignation just began to rise up within my heart. And I was like, come on, what is this guy? Like, look at him, look at him. And Kelsey's like, babe, you're being tested. I was like, I know, but this guy. <laughs> I was like, I can't believe this guy. Look at him. And he's not even apologizing. He's not even saying sorry. What a guy. And then he decides to, you know, drive past me. And then I did the gangster thing. You know. <laughs> I put the window down and, and Kelsey was like, babe, you're being tested. I put the window back up. <laughs> pass the test, pass the test, pass the test. <sighs> so Kelsey was like, how many times do I have to tell you? And she got off the car and she, she went to get something to, some, from the grocery store. She was just like... <laughs> and as soon as she left, the, left the, the, the car, I was like, God, I'm such an egg. <laughs> I was like, God, I cracked so easily under pressure. That's what it means. If you thought about it. <laughs> I was like, God, forgive me. Forgive me, forgive me. Was the guy guilty? Yeah. <laughs> Was he enjoying his sin? Yeah. 
Was I suffering? Yes. <laughs> and then after, after he left, God said, you know, I love him exactly the same way I love you. I was like, yeah, you make it worse for me. <laughs> you make it worse for me. My wife already made me feel bad. And now it's worse. Thank God for my wife, really. I really am grateful for my wife. The question that I have for you in this moment is when did God put you in the position to judge people according to your self-righteousness? He encourages us to judge according to his righteousness. So the way we judge people is the way, the way we, we judge people is the way Jesus would judge people. So how did he judge a, a person who was guilty? He says, where, where are your accusers? Where are your accusers? She said, there's no one. He's like, neither do I. There's no case. There's no case. But she's guilty. She deserves punishment. But God says, neither do I. You know why? Because she stood in that moment guilty. She came before God acknowledging her guilt. It was all that she needed. It was all that Jesus needed. Acknowledgement. Repentance. It was in that moment that Jesus said, you're a Christian? You have a case against your brother? I don't. Why? Because she repented. You weren't listening because you were too busy in your flesh. You were too busy in your self-righteousness. But that person repented. How do you know? But yet, you know like those little Pomeranians? We act, they act like they're like lions. It's like that. That's what we look like before God. The Christian walks past and we have an issue. God's like, come on, man. You have a greater purpose than this. I called you to kill giants. Not act like a Pomeranian. <laughs> so true. So true. You know, the greatest commandment, anybody know what the greatest commandment is? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your strength, all your might, and everything else. And then the second one is like the first one. What is it? Love your neighbor as you. You're not saying it properly, man. What is it? Love your neighbor? Right. So we're very good when we go to God and we say, God, bless me. We're good with loving ourselves. But it's only half ticket. It's only half of the promise. It's only half of the commandment. We have to love our neighbor as ourselves. So when I go to God asking him to bless me, bless me, bless me, he's looking at my Oh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that you get it. You're saying, God, I have a need in my life. Where's that sinner that you condemned? Mm. 
not guilty. If you're not guilty, then you qualify for a blessing. So freedom, bam, fire, bam, prosperity, bam. Have you ever wondered why your enemies are prospering? <laughs> the same people you have a problem with seems to be prospering. Their business is prospering. They're having more kids. They're having more cars, more money, and they flaunt it in front of you. They walk around like, Ooh, look at me. I'm like, Ooh, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Ah, you're a Christian. Ah, look at what is your God doing for you? They come and taunt you like that. And the more they taunt you, the more, more you go and pray. God, look at these people. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, look, I'm looking at them. Awesome, not guilty. Bless them more. Bless them more. Come on, I'm hoping that you get it. Now, I want you to go to Hebrews, which is my other favorite book. Because it's all about coffee. <laughs> the book of Hebrews, chapter 1. Hallelujah. Verse 8, but to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. For you, say this, for you have loved righteousness and hated sin, not the sinner. You have loved righteousness and hated sin therefore God your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than all your companions okay now look at me now so righteousness and hatred of sin is sort of the um, uh, the the position where we stand to be anointed above our companions okay Righteousness, right standing with God, not by our works, but by the works of Jesus on the cross. We're righteous. We're, we are his righteousness, right? We stand before God and God calls us righteous because of Jesus. But you have something to do. It's hatred of sin. So Jesus was righteous and he hated sin. So, his, so God the Father anointed him above all his companions, Okay, so which means the righteous are anointed. The righteous are anointed. Anointing is God's ability. It's his special ability that he gives to you, right? That separates you and makes you unique compared to everybody else. For example, a king is anointed above all his other companions. And he, he's given that position of authority. Right? So all of us in this room, we are called the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So which means all of us in this room and in this church, even if you did not come today, this is for you. You're anointed. You're anointed. I would have been so happy to hear that. I'm anointed. 
with the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Oh, come on. Right. So the writer of Hebrews is actually quoting from Psalm 45, right? But I want you to go to Psalm 105 now, quickly. Right? Are you there? Yeah. Verse 15. This will really rock your world. Okay? Verse 15 says, saying, do not touch my and do my prophets no. Let's read it again. Do not touch my and do my prophets. Let's read it again. Do not touch and do. Right. right. So, so if you're called the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and you are anointed, God takes it personal when someone tries to touch you. You may not be in the office of the prophet, but you do speak the, the oracles of God. Because everybody has the ability to hear the voice of God and communicate the heart of God to people. You can prophesy, you can give words of knowledge, you can give words of wisdom. Okay? But you must understand that when you're righteous, you're anointed above your companions. So there's a way in which you conduct yourself. And there's a way in which people in your church, in your company, handle themselves around you. He says, do not touch my anointed. Well, you know, I never hit Ricardo. I never touched him. I never laid a hand on him. I never did anything. I, I never did anything. Yeah, sure. You spoke against him. You touched him with words that defamed him. You dishonored him with your mouth. And God's looking at you going, well, you're anointed. You've touched an anointed one. I have a problem with you. So I'm going to bless him. That was a prophetic word. You understand? Let's say they're not in this church. Let's say they came from the church you came from. Ooh. Ooh. God calls a pastor to lead a church, and you were part of that church. And then suddenly, you didn't agree with something, and then you spoke. And you're wondering why my prayers are not being Do not touch my anointed. Do not bring harm to my prophets. This, this passage is really given in the context of Abraham and Sarah. 
Abraham and Sarah, when they went to, uh, let's go to Genesis 20, because it's very important that you hear this. You need to understand this so that you stop running your mouth when it comes to people. <laughs> people, anybody, especially God's chosen ones, especially God's chosen ones. To the sinner, when you say something from a defiled conscience, he blesses them. Doesn't answer you. He ignores your prayers because it's from a place of self-righteousness. But to the anointed, oh, that's another case altogether. I'll show you now. Are you ready for it? This will change your life. <laughs> so chapter 20, okay? And Abraham journeyed from there to the south and dwelt between Kadesh and Sur and stayed in, oh, come on, there we go again, names. <sighs> Gerar. Now Abraham said to Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. Hello. Listen, please look at me. God calls Abraham righteous. This child of God is lying. <laughs> and Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. He lied about his wife, and then the king took the, the wife, and he was okay with it. Some of us have problem with the service being long. <laughs> listen to this. Please listen to this. Are you okay? Yes. I, I hope your life is changing. Yes. I hope you're getting keys. Yes. Okay? All right. But God came to Abimelech in the dream by night and said to him, this is God we're talking, not, not anybody else. Indeed, you're a dead man. It's not like God is not saying you're a dead man. He says, indeed, you're a dead man. Like guaranteed, you're a dead man. Because the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? Which means even he was righteous. Okay, before you go any further... Abimelech was responding to God in the dream. He was so confident of his righteousness before God, his integrity before God, that even in his dream, he was making the right choice. Come on now. It's like, it's like my wife, you know, sometimes uh, when, when she wants to ask me some questions, she waits for me to just fall asleep. And when I just fall asleep, she'll be like, babe, 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 what about uh, that thing, you know? She's not testing me. She's just wanting to know. And it's like, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Something just comes out. And she's like, but that's not what, what you said earlier. Uh, can we talk about this in the morning? Do you have to wake me up now and do this? See, but it's in the heart. What is in the heart comes out of the mouth. When your mind has no control of it. <laughs> Verse 5. Did he not say to me, she's my sister? And she even said to herself, he's my brother. 
both of them lying. This is the father of faith we're talking about. Oh dear. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. And God said to him in a dream, yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart. For I also withheld you from sinning against me. Brother, I'm telling you, Abe and his wife both are in sin. Both of them are lying. God goes to the king and says, why are you doing this against me? Come on on now. He's taking it personally. When he says that you are the righteousness of God in Christ, that means finished. Nobody can change his mind. And nobody can tell him anything else other than that. You understand? Your sin cannot testify against you. And says, you're a sinner. No, he's righteous. He needs to be blessed more. So the, the guy, the king, the Abimelech, was innocent. But yet God says, you're a dead man. You touched that woman. You're a dead man. But, but he did it. But you're a dead man. But I'm innocent. You can't touch the anointed. You can't touch the anointed. Whether they are right or wrong, you, it is not your responsibility to touch the anointed. Whether they're in this church or whether they're a pastor from another church or a preacher who bought a jet, it does not matter. Your responsibility is not to touch the anointed. Hmm. Now, The man is innocent. The king is innocent. And God is saving him. Now listen what he has to do. Now therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet. And he will pray for you. And you shall live. Well, think about all the people that you spoke against. Oh dear. Think about all the things you said about your boss. Think about all the pastors and preachers and this one and that one and you challenged this doctrine and that doctrine and you thought you were self-righteous. Hello. You're heading towards destruction. Do not touch the anointed. Whether they make a right mistake or wrong mistake. (laughs) Whatever they do, it's not your problem. Say it, it's not my problem. A lot of people have missed opportunities and blessings from God because at the right time, they spoke the wrong word. At the right time, you were ripe for the blessing. And then you opened. You just had to open your mouth. You just had to reveal to God a defiled heart. You just had to, man, really. Sometimes I wonder, you know, Kelsey and I are so blessed. 
We're so blessed. Why? Because of all the people that have problems with us. <laughs> Do you understand? I'm so grateful for these persecutors. I'm so grateful for their problems. Really, just thank you, Lord. Lord, some more. Let them more come. It's okay, Lord. I'm not losing sleep over their problems. But I'm so, I'm actually losing sleep over the blessings. That you are, I'm so, I'm enjoying my life so much that I don't have time to sleep. Okay, let me, let me explain. <laughs> you see all these beautiful people and the ones who are not here today? They are all my blessing. This is my blessing. Oh. So when people have a problem with Kelsey and me, guess what? We grow. We get blessed more. I love it. I love it when people have problems with me. Just wait till the teachings start going online. When it goes online and you start hearing the negative comments, don't say a word. Don't retaliate. Don't respond. We'll just press the delete button. That's okay. But don't feel the need to justify them. We are better. No, nothing. We just stay and enjoy the blessing of the Lord. Are you okay? But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die. You and all who are yours. Oh, this, is, this is one guy's problem. The whole or everything, an entire nation. Please listen to me. An entire nation would suffer. So the greater the title, please listen to me, the greater the title the person, that person has, if he has a problem with you, the, his people who are under his covering get affected. I don't have a problem with anybody. I'm just letting you know. Bless <laughs> I really don't have a problem with anyone. After today, I don't want to have a problem with anyone. Oh dear. People will send me videos. Look at what Benny Hinn is saying. Oh, look at the prosperity gospel. I don't have a word to say about that. I don't want to get involved with this. This is not my problem. We just walk away, man. Just walk away into your blessing. Just walk away. Just don't, it's like, you know, in, in, when, when I was growing up, um, my grandfather used to have these, these um, birds that used to fight, and people would come and bet on certain birds. I don't have a bet on any bird. <laughs> Literally, when two people are fighting, just walk away. When two people are saying something, don't try to become the peacemaker. Just don't walk away. Because God will deal with them. God told me one day, just, I'm not in a hurry to deal with people's problems. So don't try to fix it. I was like, really, Lord? But I thought that's my job. He said, your job is to do what I tell you to do. I said, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. <laughs> so please, whenever you hear anything, walk away. 
Just don't bet on it. Don't put money on it. Don't put your life on it. Don't say, thus says the Lord, nothing. Don't try to even solve the problem. Just walk away. Walk away with a clean heart with everybody. Have a clean heart with everyone. Just have a, your bosses, just, Lord, I'm so grateful that I can talk to you. This is how you would communicate to God when your boss or your wife has a problem with you. God, I'm so grateful that I can stand before you and clean my heart. God, maybe it's my fault, but I want you to know that you can clean my heart. I want you to know that you can deal with me, God. Man cannot deal with me, but I know you can deal with me. Do you understand? This is how we communicate before God. God, she has a problem with me. God, do you have a problem with me? <laughs> God, yep, I have a problem with you. Okay, what is it? First, before you do anything, go fix it and come back. But what do I do? Just go and repent and reconcile. Whether the person agrees with you or not, it's not your problem. Go, reconcile, and come back, and then we can talk. What do you need? You need a blessing? Now you're in the position to receive the blessing. Do you understand? That is the way that you have a clean heart before God. Okay? Is it fair? No. Is it fair that I am anointed and I am righteous and Amos is anointed, Amos is righteous and I'm seeing Amos in a flaw in his life and that flaw really upsets me. It's like, oh, I look at Amos and I'm like, oh my God. And I go to God and I'm like, oh God, please bless my, ble my business. Amos has a business as well. Oh, but you have a problem with Amos. But Lord, Bless my business. Go deal with Amos. God, I want you to bless my business. Then you look at Amos, and Amos's business is prospering. Lord, this man is in sin. I'm not, not saying, I'm just giving an example. <laughs> it's an example. But this is relax, everybody. He's not in sin. <laughs> but this is our conversation to God. But my, my boss is, oh, Lord, he's prospering. He's go, he got a promotion. He didn't give me one. We just have to have a clean heart before God. A clean heart positions you for any promotion that you need, any blessing that you need in the time when God wants to give it to you. Okay? <clears throat> now, So this is what happens when somebody has a problem with somebody and God is like, let me deal with it, with you. This is what you do. And then I'll be like, took sheep, oxen, male and female servants and gave them to Abraham and restored Sarah, his wife, to him. Verse 17. So Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female servants, then they bore children. The guy is a sinner. 
God calls him righteous. When God calls someone righteous, God is not looking at their sin issue when they pray. Especially for somebody else. Come on now. He's not looking, oh, you went to the club? Went to surge yesterday, felt like a club. Huh, you went to surge yesterday, huh? huh? Right, now today, Pastor John's calling you to pray. Oh, oh, I feel like I danced, like, you know, I did some of those moves. And, you know, maybe my mom and dad told me those moves were sinning moves. <laughs> Not slimming moves, sinning moves. But, and so now I feel guilty, I can't, I can't, can't, can't pray. God's not looking at what you did. He's looking at what he calls you. He calls you righteous. And so a righteous man that God calls righteous, when he prays, it brings life. Please listen to me. The people you had problems with have the ability to prosper you. people you have a problem with, God gave them the ability and the anointing to bless you so that you can live, so that your family can live, so that your children, you can have children and all of that stuff. There's another dimension to what I wanted to share today and it's from the story of Job. There's another guy God called righteous. Are you okay? Yes. Do you want to know about Job? Yes. Last dimension? Yes. <laughs> Sounds like a movie. Job, God is testifying about Job and saying, there is none like Job in all the earth. Righteous, holy, blameless. But if you read through the, the story of Job, when the minute he, he, there's, whatever, the troubles come on his life, Job begins to question his purpose. He begins to question the reason why he's alive. He begins to question God. God, did you call me? Did, were you the one who blessed me? You were the one who blessed me, but now you're taking it away from me. And I am cursed. And I am, ah, nah, 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 nah. And so three of his friends come from Life Church Global. <laughs> and they come, Job, brother. They sit with him for seven days without speaking a word to encourage him in his mourning. Can you imagine what kind of friends those are? It's amazing. I like those kind of friends who just sit and don't talk. I'm just here for you. I'm just here for you. You can talk. And so they listen to Job. Blah, 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 blah. God has done this. God has done that. I am just, I'm dust. I'm nothing. And so Eliphaz decides to tell Job, Job, you're a righteous man. Please watch now how it flips. Job, you're a righteous man. God loves you. You have done good, man. You fed the poor. You gave water to, to the thirsty. You did this. You did that. You're a righteous man. And I, Job, Job, no, no, no. You cannot convince me. I am cursed. I am this. Look at my life. Everything is gone. I have boils. I have this. I have that. And then it flips. The one that God sent to encourage realizes, I can't convince this guy. He's so convinced about his problems that I can't convince him. Have you been around Christians like that? Oh man, you can't tell me my life sucks. My life sucks. I have proof. 
No, man. But do you remember the days when you did good? When you were in the worship team? When you were preaching? When you were in the serving in the, in, in the house? When you were going out and healing the sick, casting out demons, cleansing the lepers? Do you remember those days? You are, you're a righteous man. God loves you. You're a righteous man. And Job's like, no, 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 no. No, you can't tell me. Look at my life right now. Nothing is working. Have you been around people like that? Have you been people like that? (laughs) Nothing seems to be working. And so Eliphaz decides now to flip. And he says, you know what, Job? What you have spoken has come upon you. You know what? I actually, come to think of it, I was encouraging you, but actually, you were the one who did not give people water to drink. You're the one who did not worship God. You're the one who was not serving in church. You're the one. I have proof. I know. I know. And so when Job begins to hear that, he turns to God. And God spends three chapters talking to Job about himself. Job, were you there? When I created everything? Were you there when I made the angels? Were you there when I, when I put wisdom in, in the mind? When I put understanding in the heart of man? Were you there, Job? He talks about his greatness and Job is like, Lord, I understand. I want you to go to the last chapter of Job. And if someone, I can have someone on the keys, please. Does anybody need a job? It's right here in this book. (laughs) I released that job to you, whoever said yes. Chapter 42. Chapter number 42. Are you there? Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything, of course, and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Listen, please, let me speak. You said I will question you and you shall answer me. And here is Job's response. This is his repentance to God. I have heard you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see. Therefore I abhor myself and repent in the dust and the ashes. Please remember, now look at me. Please remember, God was the one who called Job righteous. Job was trying to convince himself that he was not righteous. But God continued to call him righteous. Even though he had fear issues, sin issues, whatever it was, God called him righteous. Do you understand? God's calling you righteous. God's calling you righteous. Right? And there's a moment in our lives, in our relationship with God, 
we've come to church, we've heard the messages, I've heard the teachings, I've heard God TV, I've heard TBN, I've heard this preacher, I've heard that preacher, I heard everything I heard. Question is, do you see? What do you see? Because the conscience, the conscience of Christ enables you to see with Christ's perspective in your life. The conscience, the mind of Christ enables you to see your problems the way Christ sees them. The conscience of Christ enables you to see how Christ sees people who are guilty, who deserve punishment, who have done wrong to you. The question is, do you see as he sees? Because everything changed when Job said, I have heard everything that you said, God. Now I see. Look at this, how beautiful. I don't know if you're ready for this, but this is amazing. Verse 7. And so it was after the Lord had spoken these words to Job that the Lord said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, My wrath is aroused against you and your two friends. For you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Oh my gosh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if you got it. I don't know. Job repented. And God turned to the one who was saying, Job, you're the one who said this. What has happened to you is because you opened your mouth. And God is listening to that conversation. And Job now realizes, God, I was blind. But now I see, God. I see you in my life. I see your purpose. I see your will in my life, God. I repent of this thing that I have done. I repent of this mindset that I had, God. I repent. And he turns to the Christian brother and sister sitting next to you. And he says, my wrath is kindled against you. Because you have not just spoken. You've spoken against me. You've not just spoken against Job, you've spoken against me. But my, my servant Job hasn't said anything. Oh, come on, man. Oh, you have to get it. You have to get it. When God calls you righteous, even if you sinned, even if you said something, the minute you repent, nothing, nothing exists. Nothing exists. But the one who said and hasn't repented, he turns to them. And he says, my wrath is kindled against you. Why? Because you've spoken against me. My, my servant Job hasn't said anything. Come on, man. <laughs> Come on. It's wiped. The minute you repent, the minute you turn away from what you've said, what you've done, everything, the minute you turn from it, it's wiped clean. But the one who did say and is continuing to say, he turns against him and says, my wrath is kindled against you. Come on now. Come on now. So who, who knows? Who knows? Pastor John said something. And then when he was in prayer, God spoke to him and he repented. And you're still judging him. <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Patrick did whatever he did and he went before God after he did it, and he said God 
I was blind, but now I see. I see my mistake. I see your love for my life. I see your forgiveness. I see that you're not making me feel guilty all the time. I see that there's no condemnation in your eyes. I see it, God. I see it. And he repents. And then he comes into church. And then people around him go, man. Patrick, come on, man. You know why you did this? You know what is happening in your life? It's because you did this. Patrick, it's because of this issue. We're so quick to analyze and fix and do all of that kind of stuff without realizing Patrick is sinless. Sinless. God doesn't have a problem with him. But because you keep talking against the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, you keep talking against the anointed of God, he has a problem with you. The Lord told me this today. He said, this message, (laughs) he said, this message, if my people found the keys in this message, he said, this will be the deviation for this church compared to any other church in the world. Ian, stand up. Come on. Can stand up. He did good. He did good. Can stand up. 